0: right So thank you everybody for uh, listening and coming back to uh, another episode. This is episode number 30 actually. Finally mm-hmm. made it, took a little longer than what we were hoping, but we made it to episode 30. And uh, Dean Dahl is uh, our guest. and so thank you for joining us, Dean. It's nice to be 30 again <laughs> yeah that would be nice no doubt about it <laughs> <laughs> now that I'm 32 yeah yeah exactly um yeah so uh Dean and I go uh fairways back and yeah. uh, I've always appreciated the work that Dean does in skateboarding and and for skateboarding and so I'm I'm excited to uh to have this conversation and hopefully uh Hopefully it'll be entertaining and and you'll be able to get something out of it.
1: I'm having a great time already, Steve. Thanks.
0: So, Dean, let's go back. I'm curious to hear how how and where you got into skateboarding.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, it's a two-part story. And the uh, first part is the toy version and then the second part is the for reals mm-hmm. part. But like most kids, you know, uh, something inspires you a photo or a video or watching someone on the street rolling down and you're like, what's going on? That's magic. And how do they stay on that thing with four wheels? Like I want that. And so being a, a young kid, I remember, uh, seeing a magazine at my parents' place, or I don't know if it was at my folks' place or something, but it was the life magazine. Um, Back in the like 60s or I don't know what episode or what year it was. But an old magazine, they had had a line around for years. And I just happened to look up, look on it. And uh, there's this amazing photo with this obvious sidewalk surfer girl uh, doing a handstand on a skateboard on a little banana board back in the time. And I just thought that is amazing. Uh, I didn't understand how one, someone could do a handstand you know, let alone on a skateboard and then cruise down a hill at the same time. And I was Mm. like, I want to like, how does that actually work? I couldn't believe it. And, uh, and I thought, Oh, I want one of those. So on my next Christmas list or whatever list I could get it on birthday or Christmas. I was like, mom, dad, I need one of these things. it's amazing. And, uh, so that was nice. They went to a toy store and got me, uh, this, this little blue banana board and it was really cool. And, you know, the classic translucent urethane wheels and yep. stuff. Yep. And I had a great time, uh, riding around on it as any kid would on a new toy, I learned how to balance and set up the slalom pine cone or the, you know, yeah, pine cones actually as slalom <laughs> things. And, uh, I've, you know, within a couple of months, you take it down a little bit of a hill and you get going a little bit faster than you are comfortable with. And then you wipe out, you skin your knees and elbows and stuff. And that was my first road rash. And that was my first time putting a skateboard away and saying, ah, I'm done with this <laughs> and moved on to uh, seeing a photo of a BMXer, then thought, oh, Mom and dad, I want a BMX. Uh, so, uh, yes. you know, that kind of thing. So that was the very beginning of mm-hmm. it all. And How old would you have been at that time? I don't even know. Oh, okay. Uh, 10 to 12 years yeah. old, maybe somewhere yeah. around there. Um, Yeah, and then I totally forgot about it and really uh, made no impact on my life uh, until I got to college. And at college, I got to know a couple of people that were skateboarders it was uh, a time when skateboarding was really dead kind of early 90s and uh maybe late 80s i guess and uh here were like two or three guys a handful of guys and they were like the dogtown style skateboarders mm. and they were the only two skateboarders that i knew of in a you know in this big school and I was just like, this is cool. It reminded me of my old days as a kid, but they were doing so much more. And there is a half pipe that somebody had built on the campus. And I just thought, oh, this is amazing. I got to do this. So I I found myself a skateboard and uh, just went forward from there. And just, Mm. I remember the first thing that we did actually was we were in this kind of gym and uh, off to the side, there are these ping pong tables that you had to assemble. They weren't attached to a metal frame. They're just all these boards. And so on the stage, we would just take all, there's like four ping pong tables and we just set them up, up against the stage, leaning on the stage like banks. And then we just go up and down the banks and just cruise, spend hours doing that, breaking into this gym and doing that in the night. And that's where I really fell in love with the free movement of it. And I started to understand that you can ollie. And I remember practicing on carpet to learn how to ollie for mm. like an hour at a time, just trying to figure out what is going on here. How does this actually fly? Um, there was like I don't know how to explain it, but it was just just this magic feeling that was so different. And I was never into team sports. I was never really into the whole jock thing. I enjoyed playing stuff like that, but it just wasn't my style. And in skateboarding, I found something that was so creative and right. so unique and the way that my body could move that I could stand sideways instead of look forward, um, that it was, uh, it involved risk. Um, but also it involved such, uh, uh, just dynamic fluidity. And I just thought it was the greatest thing. So mm. that's what got me going and, uh, carrying on from there. Nice.
0: Yeah. So you would have been early twenties is that
1: or would have yeah, been late, late teens. teens? Yeah, yeah, right okay. around yeah, or late eighties, early nineties kind of thing. So, so yeah. that would have been already the popsicle style board or still? No, that was a uh, uh, that was just before my first board actually was uh, actually given to me uh, by Lance Mountain. Oh wow, which is really cool. And yeah. so get this, my initial. I mean, I was skating before then, but the first board I actually got given to me was by him. And, uh, I wrote it first on a vert ramp with, uh, OG, uh, Jordan, uh, Nike dunks. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like a series of really great things that I wish I'd kept, you know, because the, the Nike's would be worth a lot of money. The, uh, last mountain board, I don't know what right. happened to it. Um, yeah. is gone. And, uh, well, I couldn't have kept the vert ramp. It wasn't mine anyway. But anyways, so, yeah, it was kind of fun.
0: Well, I is there a story behind you getting the board from Lance Mown? Uh
1: I guess so. Um, at college, I was uh, responsible for um, this event that the college was putting on, kind of a recruitment event. And uh, so they would do this every year and try to lure students in and uh, give a kind of a fun experience to, you know, encourage the community and this kind of thing. And so they wanted to do like skateboarding was in their minds kind of hot. And these people, you know, they didn't know anything about skateboarding, but they saw enough of it that they thought, oh, this is what the teenagers are into. So I should, uh, you know, we should do this. So uh, I was the coordinator of uh, some of the programming for this event that they were doing, this recruitment event. And so I was responsible for uh, taking care of the skateboarding end of it. And uh, they set me up with this guy named Lance Mountain, who is supposedly a pro skateboarder. And they (laughs) booked him to come. So they booked some plane tickets. And then I got to know this Lance Mountain guy on the phone, talked to him a couple times. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'll send some boards up. And that was kind of cool, too, because I was used to um, things like basketball, hockey, soccer. And first of all, you never see or you never communicate with pro skateboarders in those kind of sports because they're just here and then you're here. Right. And then to be actually talking on the phone with someone that I didn't, I didn't know the culture, but here I was talking with a professional skateboarder and I thought, well, that's really weird. If I was talking with a professional hockey player, I'd probably be talking to their agent right now or their coach. And why am I talking to this guy? Why is he so friendly? And then he says, Oh yeah, I'll send you up a deck. Like you don't have a board. I'll send you a board. I'll send up a bunch of them. Like I got a stack. I'll just mail them up. And I was like, what? Like, (laughs) and who does that? Like, like, so think of it, if you're in a hockey context, you know, what pro hockey player is going to call you up on the phone or talk with you when you call them and then say, Oh, you don't have a, you know, hockey stick. I'll send you mine or I'll, you know, I'll send you a whole bunch of them. I just thought, this is a really interesting culture. Uh, this is a really cool scene. So that kind of endured me to it just through Lance. And I mean, Lance is an amazing guy anyway. He's so fun. Um, Mm -hmm so anyways he he sent the board i got it and i was just so stoked i had this thing it was not only just this cool skateboard but it had this really cool graphic it was the family board the black one with the picture that uh i think his son drew uh with the, kind of a family um you know dad the son oh yeah uh, kind of standing stick figures yeah this black one had uh I think it was independent trucks and, uh, bones wheels on it. And, uh, so that was the board I got to ride. And then when Lance came for the event, I, you know, got to actually skate with him, which I wasn't really skating I was bottom dwelling while he was doing <laughs> twists, <Yeah. laughs> but whatever yeah. I was still skating with him. It was fun. I call yeah. it that. So. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so you- it's kind of, most people don't start skateboarding that way, but I right. was lucky enough to have a pretty unique entry point into, being a skateboarder
0: yeah for sure that is definitely a unique uh unique story for getting into it yeah and uh so from there like just that getting caught up in the culture of it or like is that where it kind of went from there or
1: uh yeah um one of the friends that i had in college that i skated with he was from the same town i am i'm you know from just outside of vancouver and uh so I got to know him at school. But when we both graduated, uh, you know, one of the first calls I made when I was back home, I was like, yo, Dan, let's uh, let's go hang out. And he was like, yeah, for sure. And we would go skateboarding. And my brother and I were looking for a place to stay. And uh, Dan said, Yeah, I'm looking for a place to stay, too. And so we just decided to rent a house together. And uh, so Dan and myself um, would skate together. And my brother was just getting into, into skateboarding as well. So it became a bit of a mini skate house and that started, uh, um, kind of a whole scene. So, Mm. uh, and that was really fun. I'm jumping around in my story a little bit, but that's kind of how I got connected into being, uh, um, uh, you know, living with guys that are skateboarding as well. So, yeah. So, uh, I, um, in terms of, uh, skateboarding and how it progressed to me, it very quickly became a part of my work too, which is again, really strange for the trajectory of a skateboarder. Uh, I got a job actually, I don't know, about a year after, uh, my undergrad was done. Uh, somebody, a friend of a friend called me up They were from Kelowna, British Columbia. And, uh, they said, Hey, I know that, um, it was from a church. He's a youth pastor at a church. His name's Al Murtis. And uh, he was a youth pastor and he had heard about me somehow that I had organized. A, I helped organize a youth event and that I was a skateboarder. And he said, um, you know, we have this problem in our church and I think that you might be the guy to help us fix it. And I was like, <laughs> OK, sure. And he said, do you want to come work for like come work at our church under our youth team? And we have a skate park that we want to build and we'd love to have you uh uh, run it it's like oh yeah for sure i for sure (laughs) want to do that get paid to run a skate park so i was so excited about that and so i moved up to Kelowna, and uh they had a ramp there set up and they were building a park off to the side of their youth building and it was awesome and then i kind of learned the backstory a little bit of what was going on and the youth building had about seven stalls they had uh Uh, they had bought a building that was adjacent to their church building, uh, from an old BC hydro building or something. And that was, they had seven covered stalls at the entrance to the building and the stalls in Kelowna in the winter would get filled with, well, no, I mean, it would snow, but these stalls were dry and the, and they had a sidewalk at the nose of the parkade sort of speak. Yeah. Locked in roof and then, uh, parking stalls perpendicular. Right. And, uh, they had a curb and then a sidewalk at the front where the cars would nose in. And so this became a really popular skateboard spot for all the locals in Kelowna who didn't want to skate, you know, in the snow. Obviously, you right. can't. And especially they would come on Tuesday nights because on Tuesday nights was the young night for the, the teen drop in for the, for the youth group. And, you know, all these beautiful, pretty girls in Kelowna <laughs> would show up to the youth group. And, you know, if you're going to pick a night, if you're a teenage boy to go skate, and yeah. you're going to go to this place, this youth drop-in thing, to skate these curbs on Tuesday night because you can kind of kill two birds with one stone. You can skate, yeah. but you can also kind of, you know, yeah. you, you can do a little flirting. You can show off yeah. and, you know, get to know all these girls. And so I was, I started to learn the story from this group that this church was actually really annoyed with these skate rats that were taking up room on Tuesday nights trying to hit on all their girls all their daughters at the church and corrupt them with skateboarding (laughs) and so the church's solution was was you know talk to the youth pastor and see if he can find a guy that can fix these skateboarders and get them to come in to the youth group so that uh, you know they either you know smarten up and marry our daughters or just take off from the premises. Right. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So that was, that was my job. It was, it was doomed to fail. No (laughs) doubt. No doubt. I got fired after a year, but (laughs) in the middle of that it was pretty awesome because it was my first experience to understand um, the intense community that exists in the skateboard scene. Mm. These were like hardcore uh, skateboard guys, Uh, a couple of them at a skate shop really rad dudes. And uh, they were definitely living in a time of their lives and in the middle of a scene that was very, I would call it anti-culture. And that's mm-hmm. what I would describe skateboarding as in the early nineties. Skateboarders, we saw skateboarding as something that wasn't anything else. So we are not jocks. We are not, um, normal people. We are yeah. not going to dress like everybody else. We are not going to listen to the same music. Uh, you know, you're listening to, I don't even know what people listened to back then. No, we're listening to Fugazi, yeah. you know, we're listening to, you know, rap as it was starting to early, you know, just develop yeah. uh, punk rock was totally in uh, really obscure forms of noise, music and stuff like that, just as an attempt to figure out an identity that's different, that's separate, that's set apart from what everybody else is doing. Right. And it's a bunch of kids trying to find their own way in life. They just don't fit into the normal scene. They got to find a way to, to flourish, but they can't do it at the expense of what they're feeling in their gut. And this mm-hmm. skateboard has become a tool, a metaphor of their expression into the world. And I learned that really quickly. And I really admired that. And I started to see the uh the flaws with the premise by which I was working at that church. Right. And they were, you know, honest people trying to do a good thing. Yeah, They just didn't have this, they didn't understand the culture that they were dealing with at that point. And they were pretty motivated to just do one thing and that's fix the kids, get them out of the way so that we can carry on with our yeah. thing. Right. So never going to work. And, um, uh, so then at that point, um, yeah, I really started to understand, man, this is actually, well, first of all, I'm really into this. This is really fun. And two, this is a really strong community, but it really needs some people that are a little bit uh, that have a perspective that can share life in a, it it needs the, the community needs mentors. It's got a whole bunch of great things attached to it. It, all the elements are there, but there's just nobody that's a senior that really understands that they could have a positive impact on these people. Right. So it was so much um, teenagers raising teenagers, you know, you're Mm -hmm. just doing things because you look beside you and the person beside you is doing something. And because they're doing it, you think, Oh, okay, well, I must, I should start doing it too. Yeah. You know, the whiskey video comes out and they're all like smashing beer bottles on their heads. So that, okay. I guess that's what we do. So that's what we go party and we smash beer bottles. We get totally tank drunk, puke on each other. And that's just, that's the way it is. Yeah. So there is a void of people that would be willing and, uh, able to say, Hey, you know, you're in a really cool scene, but let's try to guide you a little bit to give you some directions so that you're not going to kill yourself. Or, you know, you can actually take this thing past the next two years of your life and uh, you can actually create something really positive out of this mm-hmm. deal. So uh, that was, um, yeah, that was kind of uh, the the real gold nugget that I found mm. in the dirt of skateboarding through that whole experience in that town working with that church. Yeah. So, and that kind of opened up to kind of the rest of my life in skateboarding really. So from there, um, what was the next kind of chapter for you? Uh, well it was trying to figure out what I'm going to do for work. And, uh, at that point, um, got a call from a guy who was part of a youth organization, called young life of Canada. And, uh, his name was Paul. And, uh, he said, Hey Dean, I'm from, you know, Langley. It's just outside of Vancouver. And he said, I've heard lots of good things about you uh, here. You're a good youth worker. You like working with, um, all kinds of teenagers. I'd <clears throat> love to, um, meet you and see if you're interested in working with me. Mm. So I thought, yeah, sure. And he came up to Kelowna, uh, had breakfast together and, uh, I walked into the restaurant and I saw him or I, you know, he described what he'd be wearing and like, he was like fully bald, like cancer chemotherapy bald. And oh, yeah. I was like, wow, what's, what's going on with this dude? Turns out he was in the middle of like cancer. Like he had just, he was battling cancer and he was going through all these chemo treatments. And I was like, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I really <laughs> wanted to meet you. And I thought, uh, I, I'm not that good. <laughs> like, <laughs> you should be in the hospital or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it just kind of showed the character of this guy that was willing to take a chance on some punk skater kid that just got fired from a church um, mm. to come and see if he wanted to work with him in this organization. Mm. And that really stood out to me, the, the interest he had in me, but his passion for being able to link the... I don't know, talent I had, um, maybe passion I had is a better way to say it with, um, the kids that he potentially knew of in a community out in the Vancouver, (coughs) pardon me, the Vancouver area. Okay. And so I was like, okay, yeah, sure. I'll do it. I had nothing else to do. So I thought, Mm. yeah, okay. So I started working for this youth organization and, uh, it was pretty funny because I got to this town. It's a small town in Langley. It's called Aldergrove. And it's kind of like, I don't know where your listeners are coming from, but pick your town. There's always an end that kind of the buses go towards the end through the city. And then there's sort of a last bus stop on the line. Right. And the last bus stop on the line is kind of like that town, that part of town, that neighborhood that nobody really wants to be at, but they've kind of been there and they're kind of stuck there. Yeah. That's Aldergrove it's like end of the Metro Vancouver line. Um, it's run down, you know, it was back in the day. It's yeah, it's better now, I suppose, but it's gritty. Uh, there's lots of people that nobody else wants to hang out with that live there. It's Mm. like the, the, it's like that sediment that sits on the bottom of the well that it's still part of the well, but it's, you know, nobody wants to go down that far to get water. So, Mm. uh, that's where I was, uh, placed to go work and there's a high school there It was filled with those kind of kids and uh, I thought well why, why not let's do it um, and so I, my job was to go volunteer at the high school and work with the community center that was right next to the high school and chaperone dances and hmm. coach a volleyball the girls volleyball team <laughs> and be a hall monitor and nice. I was like no huh? it's a job yeah <laughs> I guess. yeah it's a job <laughs> Oh, it was really weird because here I was coming from this really rad scene in Kelowna with these skaters. And now I'm like walking the hallways at noon telling kids to pick up their garbage. Yeah. But anyways, uh, I thought, oh, okay. I'm like the best of it. And, uh, that was the time when me and my brother and my friend Dan got the house. So connecting these two stories back together. Yep. And, uh, so we got this place and we were skating every night. I'd get home from work yeah. you know after running some program or something and and I'd go like hey let's go skate the the elementary school hit some curbs there's a really cool pool that was a community pool that they would drain twice a year to clean and so we had a, a window twice a year to skate this really awesome oh, okay. pool <laughs> oh, it was so good uh anyways so we'd be skating and uh before like within a couple of months We obviously get to know some more skaters in this town. There was a handful and we would skate together and it was in a fairly public park and other kids would watch. And then before we really understood, there'd be like 10, 15 people skating at this park with us skating these curbs. Mm It had become a fairly popular spot. We were videoing each other and doing dumb stuff. And a lot of these guys were teenagers and some of them were from the high school, but most of them were just like kids that had dropped out. Um, kids, I don't know even where they're from. Right. So within a few months, I, uh, started recognizing a situation developing here. I was an avid skateboarder with some experience in the skate scene, uh, reaching out to skateboard kids, working at a high school chaperoning dances and coaching a girl's volleyball team and telling kids to pick up garbage. And, uh, so I was doing this day job. That was paying the bills, and my evening, I was actually having a really significant connection with a whole group of young people that the school couldn't even touch. Yeah, yeah. At a certain point, I talked to my boss and I said, "Look, uh, here's what I'm seeing. You know, I go to work, and the school doesn't really actually like me here. Um, they don't understand really who I am, and I'm not that. I'm not into telling kids to pick up garbage." I've never played volleyball before. I don't know why I'm coaching this team. And, uh, you know, having to listen to Mariah Carey and the uh, <laughs> <new> chaperone dances <laughs> is not what I'm doing forever. Millie Vanilli is right out. And uh, I said, hey, can we maybe do a little switch? Like, how about instead of me working at the school and trying to reach out to kids and just, you know, just be a nice example to them or meant to them? And then coming home from work and then hanging out with this whole crew of guys, just by this time, there's like 30 guys. It's a, it's a legitimate Mm -hmm. skate scene. Yeah. I said, can we do like a switch where I could make the skateboard stuff, my work. And uh, then maybe I could volunteer a little bit at the school if they need me uh, doing some stuff. He's like, Oh yeah, sure. Let's try it out and see what happens. So Mm. from that moment on, it was this really cool thing where my job got to change. And all of a sudden it was my job to, work around the fringes of this community with this really unique as i said before like kind of an anti-culture mindset of kids that had nobody that was encouraging them uh, nobody besides themselves that was teaching them anything of any kind of uh, sustainable structure they were all just learning how to party basically learning how to throw themselves off of staircases And uh, so I got this really cool chance again to actually have an impact in this scene that I was already a part of. And I loved to begin with. Mm. And um, that was really good. And at that point, it's like, that's when the light came on in terms of my, I guess you could say calling. Mm. Uh, It was a time when I realized, okay, the Kelowna thing was awesome. It felt like a bit of a blip, but now I see how it's connected with my, role now and the passion that i have so hmm. i'm a spiritual person I'm a, I'm a person of faith and uh i saw in that season uh god connecting dots for me that i had hmm. not connected myself and all of a sudden i was looking at everything i was looking at man i started off skateboarding by a pro skateboarder giving me his board i was still in touch with lance and I thought, well, that's that means something. There's a reason that connection exists. Through yeah. Lance, I got to know some other people. Ray Barbie, I got to know mm-hmm. uh, a couple other people in uh, in Portland. At, there's this little Jimmy's Skate Club. They have a you know a skate church, a big park in there. Got to know a bunch of those guys and their friends. And then in Kelowna, I got to know uh, these guys that ran skate shops. And then I got to know people that were ramp builders who started creating a ramp building company and all these pieces were falling into place. And I was like, what's happening here? Like there's something that's a little bit bigger than what I anticipated. And I need to jump on this. Something needs to happen to make this sustainable. So mm-hmm. that's when I really started to to understand, okay, I got to take this seriously. This is my calling. This is my, this is going to be my vocation, but beyond that, it's going to be what I do even if I don't get paid for it. So, all right. I think that was a turning point for me. Hmm. Yeah.
0: How did, uh, how did the organization uh, uh, kind of receive the, like, obviously they gave you permission. Um, but uh, like, I assume just from my own experience that there had to be a little bit of uh, teaching, um, teaching the organization what, what this kind of looks like and how it needs to happen to to reach that specific community and so i'm just curious like what was the response to that how like was it a fight was it was it pretty Mm -hmm. easy
1: going or uh initially it was easy going because it was just dean doing his thing in aldergrove and wow he's got a You know, a weekly program that's got 40 young people coming out, and these are all crazy kids that nobody else seems to be able to work with, Mm. whether it's the school, the community center, any church group, whatever. The only people that are working with these kids are social workers, you know, through the messed up scenarios in their family. And here's this guy and his buddies that are having this amazing, uh, positive relationship with them. Uh, but as soon as it started getting a little bit bigger and more organized, it was no, it was all a sudden, Oh, okay. Um, there's potentially some liability here. You know, oh, your yeah. kids are, you know, producing videos and putting videos online and they're smashing themselves down handrails and stair sets. And uh, did that guy hit his head, uh, or, uh, you know, that guy's drinking and uh, you know, you're ne- in the background, what are you doing? Yeah. And you, and you need to make them all wear helmets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then there was the, it's, you know, the organization I was working with is a, a faith-based organization. So they have, you know, a, a kind of a baseline that they do things by, but they also had kind of a a standard, a um, morality standard. And they understood there was this, it was interesting because there's this inherent, Tension that goes when you're working with an organization that wants to be a certain way, and yet you want to reach a number of a group of kids that that are doing their own thing. To what extent do you have to hold your line to maintain your brand, Mm -hmm. to keep your statement of you know your code of ethics or whatever? To what extent are you willing to sacrifice that to compromise that to pivot so that you can truly be in the world of of those kids right you know there's a common thing that we all feel like we have to do and that's we kind of got to earn earn the uh you know the the relationship earn the permission and uh but um you know, the way that my organization would put that is they would say, well, you have to earn the right to be heard. And mm. in some ways that's really positive and really valuable. And in other ways, it kind of had an underlying, uh, there's a statement under there that said, yes, we want to go into their world, but at, at some point we're going to be in their world enough that we'll have the right to tell them that right. um, this is yeah. how they need to be now. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, that was kind of like the, the glass in the grass, so to speak, mm. Um, that i had to deal with in terms of there is this openness on the one hand and then there is this oh no that's not going to work and that flushed itself out through all kinds of things like whether it was helmet use or whether it was the style of programs that we do or um you know basic things the skate culture is a lot different than normal teen culture so it doesn't fit in the box of what's going on very quickly or easily. And so, yes, I had to do a lot of explaining and I would try to explain to the skater guys that, Hey, you know, I'm part of this organization and they're not really down with us smoking weed at the programs that we do or you guys smoking weed. I wasn't smoking weed. (laughs) So could you maybe on, on our Monday night club that we have, could you maybe just, you know, we're in the parking lot, I know, uh, but just take it easy from that. And they're like, I won't say what they said, but yeah, you can imagine yeah, the yeah. response they would have. Yeah, for sure. Not super positive, but no. again, you know, we were earning, like we were just trying to be friends and uh, you want to be on their turf at, at their terms and at the same time you're stuck from an organizational perspective. Yeah. So that, yeah, that made it really tricky. No,
0: I, I can appreciate that. And I think, yeah, as somebody who's worked with the organization and in skateboarding, I can I can relate to that a lot
1: yeah yeah it's probably like that in most things but i think that a fringe uh, activity i mean skateboarding is no longer a fringe activity it is its own culture now it's mainstream i mean it's in the olympics it's it's ridiculous but back in the day it came from roots that were very um outside of the norm and the participants in skateboarding really wanted to protect that feeling, that image, they wanted to be different. So, you know, I have a story, uh, we took a bunch of our skate guys. It was a bunch of guys at the time, uh, between 15 and 17 years old. I thought it had been after a year of working with a crew of guys in my town, we were getting to be really close friends. They were no longer swearing at me, but around me. So I felt like, okay, this is good. You know, (laughs) I've got a a step in. They see me as a friend now, you know, they're still really rough, but they're not aggressive towards me anymore. And they're kind of my friend. And uh, I thought, well, this would be a great time to have some kind of experience. And uh, so I was working for this organization and they have camps and the camp that they have is a beautiful camp up on the coast somewhere. And you got to take a ferry to get there and it's out in nature and there's swimming, there's wakeboarding, there's canoeing, there's, you know, all kinds of fun young people there. There's parties every night, that kind of stuff, you know, classic traditional camp experience. I thought, well, wouldn't it be great? And I talked to these guys and I said, Hey, you guys want to go to a, a camp? And obviously the first question is, well, can we skate the whole time? Yeah. And I said, well, it's out in the middle of nowhere. It's all grass. Uh I don't know. Bring your skateboards. We'll see. Uh but all they cared about was skateboarding. They didn't care about the fact that there's a pool there. They didn't care about the fact that there is five expensive ski boats or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So we actually found a couple of dirt boards that were really fun and brought them along with us and uh I I was really looking forward to it. I had a crew of about five of them that came. And uh, I just remember as soon as we got off the boat onto the camp property, it just like started the process of being like one of the most difficult camp weeks that I've (laughs) ever had. Because these dudes were having none of this. They were looking everywhere where there's a plot, like just a piece of concrete or hard wood planking or whatever they could be on. And they weren't going to go to any meal, they weren't going to go to any program, they weren't going to go to any kind of, you know, evening event or party, they weren't going to participate on the boats, they were going to just do their thing as their crew and that's it, and uh, so I was on the one hand just dealing with these guys who were mad at me, what'd you bring us here, there's nothing to skate here, this is dumb. Yeah. And then on the other hand, I'd go into these leader meetings every night and they'd be like, well, everything's going great except for Dean and his crew. Like, <laughs> what's going on? They stole a bunch of things from the kitchen last night. What are you doing? Like, why are they not – I haven't seen your kids at all. Are they around anymore? Like, you need mm-hmm. to get these kids in line. Every night it was a battle like that. And oh, I very yeah. quickly realized that if I'm going to do an overnight thing with these guys, first of all, they have no context for an organized camp camp structure. Right. They come from single family couch surfing homes. They don't know what it is. their overnight visits are the fact that they got booted out and they can't open their doors to their house and so they got to st- sleep, you know, in their friend's backyard. Right. Yeah. Um that's their camp. So uh, of course they're going to have a problem with, you know, a traditional camp where you know you get program and meals and all kinds of stuff. As nice as that is. So I had to realize that okay, we got to do something pretty special that's very unique and that comes exactly in the context that our kids are living in right now. If we really want to give them a a great overnight experience and build into them in a relational way. All right. And, and so was that where road rage
0: was born out of?
1: Essentially. Yeah. Mm. Um, give a, I'll give a little description of road rage. It was at a time when uh, uh, Thrasher had King of the Road. Yep. I think they had done one one summer of it. And we watched it, of course, like every skater did, and yep. thought, oh, that's amazing. That is <laughs> <Yeah>. so cool. <laughs> like, where did they think of that? And uh, so kudos to my friend Derek Epp. He was like, Deep, we're doing this. And by this time okay, this is a few years later after that initial camp experience. So now we had to fill you in a little bit more. That one club that we had in Aldergrove expanded. People were volunteers helping me out and they would eventually move and they'd move to back to Ontario because they mm-hmm. were going to college out in, I don't know, Vancouver or going to university. They would call me up after they moved back to Ontario and said, Oh, I love that thing in Aldergrove. That was so rad. Can I do that in my town? Teach me, Dean, how to do this. Mm. And uh, my friends in Kelowna back at the time would come and visit and they would say, Dean, we totally miss you in Kelowna. Can we keep this thing in Kelowna going, even though you're here? And so that was Kelowna, something in Ontario. People from Alberta were saying, hey, I heard about this. How can I do this? I'm a core skateboarder. I love this. Can we be one of your chapters? Mm. And so all of a sudden, one pretty cool little scene turned into like seven. Oh, and wow. I was managing this thing with these kids, but I was also managing on a uh, regional and essentially national level. All right? This yeah. kind of network of uh, programs to young people. And uh, so that was a real challenge organizationally for me to be that organized, but right. also um, for the organization itself, because here you know, I was doing this really separate thing and it was growing like crazy, but it again, didn't fit in the organizational structure of what was going on. So I'm managing all these different clubs across the country. We just called them clubs, skate clubs. Yeah. And they were saying, we want to get together and we want to have like all of us meet at one spot and do this thing. Mm -hmm. And we had all watched the King of the road. So my buddy Derek said, we got to do our own king of the road. That would be amazing. Like it's the best thing ever. So we just came up with the name road rage and everybody found themselves a van. And, uh, we decided, well, let's make some challenges like what they did. And, you know the thrasher king of the road is pretty harsh and we didn't necessarily want to represent (laughs) that scene fully yeah so we kind of you know did our own style of things but everybody had a book and they had to check off the the things and they had to video themselves doing it or take photos of it and uh it was just awesome we stickered up the vans yeah uh but again it was perfect because we weren't going to a camp facility And sleeping in these dorms and then having nice breakfasts and then having a, you know, a morning time together and then a big wide game and then playing, uh, soccer together. No, we were just like on the streets all day, all night. And then we would just sleep in parking lots Mm. and we would sleep in the van and we would sleep on somebody's in somebody's backyard or somebody had a basement. And so we'd crash in there. Everybody had to find their own way. Yeah. And, I mean, it was really cool, but it was also a little sad for me because I realized that this is what our kids felt comfortable with. And I had grown up in a very different circumstance where I'd been, you know, I had this a very safe, a very secure home. I was, you know, a traditional kind of kid that went to all the, you know, classic things that a good kid would go to. And here I realized um, I didn't disrespect these kids at all, but I had this kind of deep sadness that... Mm. I was, yes, we were doing something really good together and we were building really good community. But these kids were troubled. And this sleeping in parking lots, sleeping in the back of a van, couch surfing, was that was their thing. That's what they yeah. knew how to do because that was their life. And uh, it really gave me a passion on another level to think, you know, I've got to take little baby steps here with them. And I want them to have fullness in their life, but I can only do, I can only go from zero to 0.2 right this week yeah. instead of zero to 100. Like mm-hmm. I'm not going to change this person. Yeah. Um, you know, God's going to do that. They're, they're going to do this. Their friends, their mentors across the board are going to do this, but not me, not here. So it was a very slow and gradual process, but through things like that, it really helped um, drop down the guards of these kids, and after camps like that, and you probably experienced it too, Steve, because you came on a couple of road rages. That experience of being together with people, living, figuring out where you're going to eat, cooking meals together, figuring out where we're going to stay tonight, um, long drives, sitting facing forward together, talking about whatever, listening to tunes. Uh, that builds a bond with people in a way that you can never do that in an organizational structure in a program for sure. And it really felt like, Oh, now I'm really, you know, I always knew I was called to this, but now I knew I'm actually in, in the middle of this. I'm not working on this anymore. I'm working in it. Yeah. And, uh, and at that point too, it was something that I realized that um. I'm now the recipient of the, the fullness mm. of this relationship. It's no longer just these kids that are being um, helped, but it's me that's being helped because my, the paradigm that I have, the assumptions that I had, the, even the, uh, you know, that the, yeah, the assumptions and the prejudices that I was used to were being dissolved by these great guys that were super raw, so oh. that was really exciting.
0: Yeah, I love that because uh, I can resonate with that as well. In the process, you're you're bringing fullness to yourself, not just to to the to the people that you're hanging out with. That's yeah, that's really good.
1: Yeah, you'd been on a you've been on a road rage before, hadn't you?
0: Yeah. So it's interesting because I've yeah I've been on two road rages. But before that, I was doing my own trips, um, and so yeah, for us too, the trips have always like they're always a highlight for the for the skate kids that you work with. I mean, I got guys you know that are in their late twenties, early thirties now that still talk about the trips that we've been on, and uh, but our way of getting there was actually maybe the format was kind of at it from a different uh, angle than what you came to it. So, uh, being involved in youth for Christ here, um, we did these trips called California breakaway where mm. we take, uh, high school students to California. We'd jump on a bus it'd take us, uh, we just drive straight through for like 40 hours straight and get, get to California, spend the week there. And, uh, and just like hit up, amusement parks, the beach, whatever, and, and come back. And it was always this big, huge event. Like we'd, the first time I went, we did four buses, 160 kids. Wow. And and it was big enough that we had our own concerts in the hotel we were staying in. And, and that was the other side of it: is we were staying in a hotel. It was pretty Ooh. plush. Yeah, it was, it was the way to, way to travel and we'd bring in like bands to the hotel to, to do shows for our group uh a, like a private show kind of thing and so it was this really big raw raw thing that was happening and so i was part of that as part of our organization and and while we're down there um i'm seeing all these skate spots and and oh, yeah. and stuff like we go to san francisco and we see you know Pier seven and and guys are skating there and stuff and and I get this idea that I need to bring I need to make this into a skate trip. Yeah, and so sure. so what we ended up doing was just attaching kind of a skate trip to to this other trip. So we'd have a couple buses of kids, high school students, and out of them there'd be like maybe 5 uh, five to 10 skate kids that would be on the trip. And so while the other ones were going to the amusement park, we go hit, hit up spots or skate parks or whatever. And, Mm -hmm. but we'd still kind of be involved with the, with the events and like the, the big party stuff that was happening at the hotel and, and stuff. And, um, and so, yeah, completely different looking trip than what you're talking about. And, uh, but, it worked like it, we were just kind of piggybacked off of this, this other trip and, and kind of like, once we got down to California, we'd rent a van and do our own thing and, and, uh, and it worked great, but it was still pretty plush.
1: Yeah.
0: And, uh, and out of that, um, we started doing like uh, Western Canada trip. So we'd, I'd get a bunch of guys in a van and we'd like, just do this kind of tour we'd start in uh saskatoon go across edmonton down to calgary sometimes we went all the way down to lethbridge and then come back on the number one and hit hit up any park or anything on the way and uh and that because of my experience with the california thing i was doing hotels on those trips which now to look back i i don't know how we like Pretty much every night of those trips, I was begging managers not to kick us out of the hotels. Yep, it was it was just insanity, and <laughs> that's a lot more <laughs> stress
1: than I would have given myself. <laughs> oh my
0: goodness, I don't know what I was doing, but that's how I knew how to do it because because we did those California things. That's the way we traveled. Yeah, and later on, I figured it out. Like we started tenting it and stuff and that that definitely started to work out better oh that's Uh, good but yeah oh so many hotels that i i was (laughs) begging that we we could stay another night
1: (laughs) yeah yeah that's uh pretty classic
0: yeah so yeah so i came kind of from the other other end of it like this kind of fancy plush trip and then dwindled down to what what a skateboarder probably would be more comfortable with. And yeah. uh, so it's interesting uh, that you're, yeah, you started out the exact opposite.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, we ended up doing camps as well um, just because the it was circumstantial too. Like there were some years when uh, we just, we would look around for being able to, you know a lot of the friends i had were uh avid ramp builders and some of them now are building ramps you know full time like mm. kyle dion right uh runs new line skate parks and it's an yep. international really ball and skate park building company but back in the day he was just like this guy that loved building parks and he's like hey i'm coming like if you mm. find a property i'll build you a park out of wood mm. and it'll be amazing yeah. So, of course, if I've got got that offer, I'm going to for sure find it whenever I can. So, you know, if we would have ever rent a camp and it had a couple of cabins on it and a big flat concrete slab, then I'd call Kyle up and be like, hey, we got this place. Let's do it. So mm-hmm. two months later, there'd be a bunch of raps there and a couple hundred kids and we'd go nuts. Oh, yeah. So but, you know, that was obviously finding a facility that can hold 100 to 200 skateboarders and have a park is very difficult in the summertime when kids are off school. So road rage ended up being a lot more of a sustainable format. For sure. Yeah. 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 And that's when what... we were able to transform that too. It originally started feeling a lot like a king of the road, but uh, we morphed it after a while because it was so much work for us to be able to create a manifest, you know, this, this uh, trick Bible, I guess you could call it every yeah. year. We were just like, this is too crazy. And how do we keep in touch to make sure people actually are doing these tricks? Um so we decided to turn it into a film festival and we made sure you know we decided okay this is what's going to happen next year so plan for this make sure you have your van but have a filmer in your van and we're going to rent a movie theater at the end of the week in whatever town we're going to end up at yeah your job as your team is to come up with um a week's worth of footage to be able to create your own edited video And it has to be under 10 minutes long. I think it was a, yeah, I think it was a 10 minute maximum or something. And it has to incorporate, you know, maybe three elements. You got to incorporate, I don't know, your whole team has to be in it. Everybody has to be like, um, everybody's got to have a share of tricks. And uh, it's got to be in multiple different towns. It can't just be in one spot, that kind of thing. And so it turned into this really cool thing that was a mix of a skate contest Mm-hmm. um a skate video and a summer camp yeah. and it turned it was just amazing because the quality that these guys had as filmers as editors as skateboarders and to be able to find spots that were really unique and create spots that were diy yeah. and then to be able to document them and then um portray them in this themed video with their own music was really cool so i really appreciated how that format you know grew
0: yeah definitely i love that format as well that was that was a, a lot of fun and it was and they're like so entertaining to watch after right like uh, yeah. once they're all out and to watch all the different uh ideas that people came up with just yeah, yeah that was that was such a good idea
1: you know we had already become kind of a national movement of skateboarders that were connected to this organizational structure by that point we were officially calling ourselves skate life yeah and we at that point had about seven staff at any one given time you know part-time or full-time um but it's like anything if you do something well and uh you're really open with it and not trying to guard fences around what you're doing but creating a well for people to come to yeah. You're just going to be, you're going to start growing and people are going to hear about it and say, hey, I want to be a part of that thing. That's really cool. Yeah. So not only were we doing things across the country at that point, uh, we had crews from Yellowknife, from Montreal, from all across the prairies, up and down the coast of BC, East Coast. But then people in the States started hearing about it. And then we also hear about people in Mexico, in Japan, in China, in Costa Rica, in Europe africa and they're all watching our videos going oh this is amazing can we do this in our town you know and i was like oh sure go for it and that started a whole wave of us starting to think outside of the borders of our country realizing skateboarding is not a national thing and it's not a thing that you can control it has its own free movement just like you do as a skateboarder it just creates a life of its own so we just followed Followed the the scene, and uh, it became this beautiful international community that gave us all kinds of really cool connecting points to different skate scenes across the world. Yeah, I
0: that actually was going to be the next place I was going to go was international because uh, we had the opportunity to spend time together in Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm tr- I can't remember if if that was where I first met you or if it was at a summit. Uh, I can't remember which happened first, but, uh, but yeah, um, that opportunity to, uh, have you guys down in Costa Rica while I was working there was, uh, was a real highlight and, uh, and just, uh, I guess, uh, for me, just a great opportunity to see how, how you guys are op- how you guys were operating and, and working with your guys and stuff. And, and it just, uh, Yeah. For me, it was I saw so many similarities in the way I was trying to do things and the way you were doing things that uh, I just felt a connection to what you guys were doing.
1: Yeah, I think that the first time we went to Costa Rica, you came with us. You weren't living there anymore. You had come back to Canada and came with us, maybe. I, I can't remember, but mm. I know that we had that Costa Rica connection somehow. Right. But yeah, Yeah. that was, that was an awesome connection. It was really fun to work with local pockets of people that I really could see myself in them, even though they were from a totally different part of the world. And it was funny because they were dealing with the same organizational structure. They had the same story that I did.
0: Yeah. You know, Tony in Costa
1: Rica, he's working with an organization. He's a passion for reaching out to young people and he's got this skate thing that he loves. But how does he merge skateboarding with the fact that this organization is saying, well, you've got to build houses for homeless people, which is a great thing. But, you know, when your passion is to do this and you're forced to do this all the time, then uh, it becomes really tricky. And you're trying to convince your organization to say, you know, come on, I could do something really good here, but... You know, the other thing, too, I had a really interesting discussion with uh, Paul O'Connor, who's a sociologist, lives in uh, England, and uh, he and I talk a lot about, um, um, well, we had an interesting conversation about skateboarding and religion, and he looks at uh, organizations from a sociological perspective, uh, religious organizations from a sociological Mm. perspective, And he sees that in a lot of ways, organizations, faith-based ones, and particularly North American Christian organizations, in one way have a really unique and a really positive impact on skateboarding because they have a bit of an entrepreneurial style to them that Mm. goes where the, the staff of these organizations are going out and they're finding these communities of people, these pockets of skateboarders, and reaching out to them because of the passion that they have to serve and to, you know, share, uh, their message with people. And he says, that's really actually ahead of the rest of the skate community in some ways in that, you know, there's not really any other crews that are doing that, that aren't motivated by money. You know, the skate industry wants to sell boards and so they'll do that or whatever. But he said the downside of that is that it becomes a thing that's based around, it becomes almost like a bait and switch thing where right. um, in our fervor to reach out to kids, we realize that we end up actually using skateboarding. We manipulate skateboarding for, for our real purpose, which, I mean, it can be interpreted as our real, and purpose, real purpose is to be able to spread the Christian message to these kids. Mm. And so he says as Christian organizations, North American ones, particularly because I don't know, a cultural thing. That are the danger that we sh- we have, and we need to avoid, is to be sure that we are not treating skateboarding as purely uh, a tool, abusing it as just a means to an end. Mm. That we see skateboarding as an inherently spiritual activity that has its own value as a spiritual thing, as well as a lifestyle, as well as a physical, uh, you know, thing. To be able to reconcile the fact that we have faith, which is a great thing, and that skateboarding exists, which is also a great thing, but to allow them to grow together uh, in, in partnership with each other, rather than saying, oh, I'm going to have a skate event, I'm going to bring a, you know 100 kids out to this park, we're going to have some really good skaters come. And uh, they're going to do, you know, all kinds of really cool tricks. And then we're going to sit everybody down and then share our message. And because they saw a skateboard so well, they're going to accept what we're telling them and believe, and they will be participants in our organization from that point on. He says, that's the problem with uh, the good things that we're doing as, as organizations in that we're prone to manipulate the very thing we love because we have another agenda. And he says that's unfair to people. So I thought that was a really interesting uh, way to put words to what I was experiencing. Cause I felt that, especially sure. in an international context, we'd go down to Mexico and we'd go down to Costa Rica and because of our roots being, you know, working with these fringe kids in these towns that nobody cared about yeah we understood the underdog nature of what we were doing mm. but then we came and we were all a sudden seen as the superheroes because we'd go to these towns and nobody had ever really seen anybody on a skateboard yeah. perform like this before and so it was really easy for us to to stand up at the end of a little demo and go oh by the way you know here you know we're gonna throw you some product but first listen to this yeah and uh we sort of felt right away that, Oh yeah, this is good on one hand. And yet it's a little dangerous on another. And we were constantly reconciling. Well, how do we actually do that? Because we love our friends in the skate community in in China, we love our friends in, in the skate scene in Costa Rica In you know, wherever, pick your time, Indonesia. Yeah. Um, But what right do we have to be able to go there and use this, tool as a bait so that we can switch on to something that we feel like we should impose on them. So, yeah, I don't know. Good lesson for me to learn.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think that like
1: for me, that
0: that's a good description of some, uh, of sometimes some of the experience I've had and feeling just a little bit ugly about the way things happen. And, you know, you have this pressure on one side that, you need results, or you need, you know, people to to change and and fit into a a certain mold that we we think is the right one. And then, but yeah, on the other hand, you have these relationships, and you want to protect them. And it's uh, uh, sometimes coming from our organizations that's, that can be a real challenge and put you in places that you just that feel just a little ugly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, again, this is Paul is he has a, a great way to put this to words. And I'd recommend that um, if you're in an organization, if you find yourself in any kind of a nonprofit, but particularly in a, in a faith based nonprofit, this is a good uh, his book, Skateboarding and Religion. I want to give him props. Maybe you can put hmm. that in the episode notes or something. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, because he's got a great way of describing this. Um, and again, it's from a sociological point of view, so it's quite neutral. But uh, he says that to most organizations, the way they're funded, again, faith-based North American nonprofits, are funded through the generous donors' donations of philanthropists uh, in our circles mm-hmm. that know us, that trust us, and we have this passion. And so they say, well go for it. I want to be able to support you every month and give you a donation uh, so that you can do what you do. But that becomes tricky as well, because all of a sudden uh, we are paid to do this. So therefore we need to keep doing it so that we can continue to get paid. Yeah. And it becomes another motivation that seems a little bit sideways because all of a sudden, well, if we don't do this trip to Nicaragua you know, what are we gonna tell our donors who are giving us enough money so we can put food on the table for our families? You know, we we gotta do this again and you know, we gotta show a photo of a hundred kids at the skate park rather than just us sitting on a curb with two kids because <laughs> you know that'll that'll really, you know, get them excited and yeah, you know, you start to go down those pathways and it gets it starts to feel a little bit eh, cringy, you know, if you don't watch it. So that is the, I mean, it's isn't it great that people are giving that they want to support, but isn't it scary at the same time that we have, dare I say, um, colonial mindset in the work that we do that says, Oh, we want to fix this because we have something of value that we can teach them or we can give to them. And it's a very much us and them. And we're coming from a power position, yes to them and uh so i've really had to struggle with that um mm-hmm. especially in the latter parts of my uh, time in uh youth outreach yeah uh, yeah i appreciate that i think it's
0: i think that's a a really valuable struggle um that we need to have and not just uh, carry on the way the way it's always been right mm-hmm. yeah no that's that sounds uh that sounds good i'm gonna have to check out that book for sure what what's dean doing now like um yeah that's
1: uh i'm on a podcast uh, with you steve yeah awesome (laughs) so glad too but what else is going on existential moment (laughs) yeah yeah i am uh I'm in an interesting point. I'm having a great journey understanding uh, and thinking of the next season of my life. Hmm. Uh, about a year ago, I moved on from the organization that I that we've been talking about. Um, and uh, about a f- three years before that, f- first of all, I, I, I completed a succession plan within Skate Life, which was a really beautiful thing. And I loved it. I, I started to sense that Yes, I could do this for a long time, but I've got these staff that are amazing. They are fully capable. They can do this. And I know that they have ideas based on the fact that they're 10 years younger than I am Yeah, that will speak to skateboarding in a way that I can't. Mm. So I took one of my senior staff and I said, Jason you the man you got to do this this is going to be great so we created a three-year plan where i transitioned out and he rose into and by the end of it i kind of faded out and he rose and took the yeah. organizational element of it that was great i about two or three years passed of me being just kind of a sage you know being a help um on a Ideas platform instead of an operational platform. I took a VP role with the organization, and after that, I just really felt like it was time for me to move on from the organization. Generally, mm-hmm. uh, I felt you know I didn't know what was next, but I knew what I needed to move on from. Right. And so that was about a year ago, and I'm now I'm in the process of just trying to decide for that. So I've got a bunch of projects on the go, uh, which are really exciting and uh, and they're nerve wracking too because. Mm-hmm you know, I just want to make sure that I'm taking care of my family in this. I'm driven by my passions and not by the let's put the money on the table kind of thing, Yeah, which is really fun. But it also, you know, I have to really watch that I'm not just choo- choosing my adventure rather than right. taking care of people. Right. Yeah. So, but yeah, I've got a, I've got a podcast that I'm doing. It's called the edge is the center. And it's a, a lot of fun. I'm learning as I'm sure you have Steve mm-hmm. about how podcasts work and how much work they are. Yeah. It's yeah. crazy. So I appreciate yeah. all the work you're going to even right now. Yeah. Anyways, I'm also doing, uh, I'm connected very strong to an action sports community globally. And uh, it's called the Axe Network. And mm. it's basically a small group of, of leaders of leaders in the action sport community, mm. whether it's parkour, skateboarding, surfing, snowboarding, uh, mountain biking, Hmm. Anything that kind of sits on the fringe of sport, uh, yeah. we want to be able to find ways that we can encourage people that are building up communities, similar to what I was doing back in the day with skateboarding, yeah. uh, so we can give them some kind of guidance from um, an experienced perspective. Oh, Awesome. Yeah, and that's awesome. really great. We have a court like I uh, I'm in charge of the North America, Canada, and the U.S. primarily. Mm. And so we arrange uh, Zoom calls with people, and we just sit around virtually and just mm. talk about life and say, Hey, you're a leader with some staff, and you got this passion to reach out. How are you doing it? Like, what do yeah. you need help with? How can we share a story?
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: Yeah, and we uh, you know we get together as much as we can. Now that we're coming out of COVID, we're gonna. Yeah. Uh, try to do that more so mm-hmm. that's good so that's the that's one element and then i'm also doing stuff locally i you know i i love cycling so i started a cycling club
0: oh yeah, nice. that's
1: pretty fun yeah yeah right so on. organize local races and mm-hmm. group rides and things so it's good right on i mean i do a ton of things so i i can't stop talking
0: yeah um i want to actually backtrack and talk about uh the summit and mm. because that's something that you've been uh, a huge influence in and actually organizer and which I've, man, I just have appreciated those so much. And um, obviously similar to what you're talking about, what you're doing with acts, but uh, maybe talk about how that kind of came
1: about. Yeah. Yeah. It was very much an extension of the international movement from what Skate Life was doing. We started understanding there was communities of people that were doing very much the same thing that we were, but under different titles. And, um, you know, many of them were um, faith-based groups and some of them weren't, but they all had a passion for reaching out in their community. And they found that by doing that, they were reaching a broader community and the culture around the specific geographical area that they found themselves in. Mm -hmm. So recognizing that and recognizing that I was becoming friends with all these leaders of leaders, we realized that we really had no peers. We had no mentors because what we were doing was so niche. Like there was literally only four or five of us in the world that were in this position. And yet we were having an impact on thousands of young skaters and, uh, around the world. And we thought, this is really strange. We need to do something about this to get us together, build some strength. So we decided it was, it started way back in the day when uh, slam city jam was an event that happened in Vancouver. Yeah. Late nineties, early two thousands. We were all going to that and skateboarders from around the world were flying out to it cause it was massive. And we thought, well, let's just meet uh, one of the nights while that contest is going on after things are gone or let's all breakfast together and just talk about what we're doing, what we feel is going on in skateboarding right now and how we can serve. Mm. And we did that for a couple of years during Slam City. And then we realized that there was other people that said, hey, I want to be a part of that. Let me in. And uh, we had to make a decision. Well, do we just want this to be a conference or do we want it to be something more intimate where we can be a smaller group of people that can go back to our communities and then teach from there. And we started to, we sort of did the former where we said, uh, no, we did the latter. Sorry. Where we wanted to work with a small group of people, bring them together, sharpen each other, get resources, encourage, share stories, and then go out from there and individually work on our own regions around the world. And so we would do them every two to four years. The last one was online this uh, last spring. Uh, was it last spring? Yeah, it was. Yeah. 2000, yeah. And, uh, but prior to that, we had done one in Barcelona. We'd done them in the States and in Canada as well. I'm not sure when the next one's going to be, but it's that kind of idea. How do yeah. we have an impact in our communities around the world? um, by us being strong together. Yeah. And it, it was
0: just, I think for me, just such an encouraging event to get together with other people that are doing something similar to what you're doing and maybe have the same struggles, the same highlights, the same, you know, uh, just the camaraderie and the ability to, to connect with like-minded people was, uh, was always uh, made it a special thing
1: for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. I would, I'm dying to do something in person again and yeah. uh, we're trying to work out what we can do perhaps next spring or mm. I'm not sure. We'll yeah. see.
0: Let's put a little plug in for the podcast and give us a little kind of, yeah. uh, I guess, a overview of what, what you're trying to do with it and who it's for. And yeah,
1: sure. Um, you know, when you do something for a long time, you sort of become in some ways, uh, proficient at it. And, uh, you begin to find your, your niche in it. And so I had continually got more and more experience and knowledge in being able to work in a certain way in the skateboard scene. And, uh, over the years, people would say, oh, Dean, you got all these cool stories. You've got all this insight. You should write a book. Mm. And you know, for me to think of writing a book, I would never read the book that I wrote. So why (laughs) should I inflict that on other people? It just wasn't for me. But at the same time, I realized I've got all this knowledge and I've got all these great stories. Mm. How can I share what I've done, especially as my kind of term with the organization was coming to an end? I thought, man, there's important stuff here that I would like to be able to give to people as a you know a gift or let them ask me questions and they need a, a starting point by which to do that. So yeah. I thought, well, a podcast is probably a great idea. And like you and I, we're good friends. And I've got all these friends around the world that have really interesting perspectives. So I thought, well, this is a great way to tell stories, and through it, I can share my story yeah. and reflect on what I've done in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, well, what's the theme that could kind of rotate around this? And I started to understand that the value that I've found most prevalent in my work over the years um, is the value of community. Mm -hmm. The importance of being able to know that you are connected to a group of people that, that have similar experience, that have similar story connecting them. And that share the same kind of passion towards whatever thing it is that you're doing. Yeah, And I really wanted to focus that as the, the center of what we would talk about in my experience. I realized that um, the community that I came from was not part of the larger community. It was a very fringe edge of a culture, but I had witnessed over and over and over again, the fact that, anything from the edge that becomes vibrant tends to influence the the larger culture, the larger community surrounding it. And so I wanted to explore that. And so I named it the edge is the center mm. in that I wanted to explore stories of vibrant stories that are often overlooked or underappreciated um, that are very unique and mm. to watch the, to hear stories of the vibrancy that they have in their community and then to understand how that flourishing has caused an effect on the larger community around it. And we mm. see that in everything. You see that, you know, in, in, like I mentioned the Jordans back, you know, it's almost two hours ago. That's ridiculous. <laughs> but, uh, uh, sneakerheads, like that's a culture that is, that was a really fringe thing that's become a really massive deal. Yeah. Uh, music is like that. Uh, I mentioned Fugazi earlier, you know, that's a band that was really, really tight and they didn't want anything to do with anybody else. And yet yeah. they became this phenomenon. Yeah. Skateboarding is the same way. Small core group of people turns into an Olympic sport. So I wanted to explore the stories of the unique, the overlooked, mm. the fringe uh, communities and how they reflect on people. So um, I've got a first season. It's got 10 episodes. I've released six of them, no, four, three or four of them so far. And people can just find me. It's called the edges, the center, um, wherever they look at their podcast or they listen to their podcast. I've also got a YouTube channel. Uh, you can just look up Dean doll on YouTube and you'll see my channel there. I put a bunch of shorts on there, uh, as previews, little quotes and things mm-hmm. from upcoming podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been really fun. Yeah. It's, uh, I, uh, I would highly
0: recommend it. I've been listening to them and, uh, and, quite enjoyed them uh you've had great guests and and great conversations and um i think people that uh, appreciate this podcast will i i would think that they will enjoy that one as well so yeah
1: thanks uh, for
0: the plug yeah for sure um is there anything else that you wanted to uh get in today on this conversation or
1: (laughs) no no, i think that's pretty good I just want to encourage you Steve you're doing great work and uh, anybody else that's listening I usually finish most conversations with this if I'm talking to people that um, if you're listening you're probably part of something that's pretty special whether you realize it or not you're part of a community that cares for you and loves you and that wants to have uh, your impact as part of their story so work on that like find those great nuggets in your life and uh continue to build your relationships with people and encourage the things around you make make them cool and don't wait for something to come along um because that's i feel like that's kind of the essence of life for me
0: well that's a that sounds like a great place to end we'll (laughs) we'll just end it right there
1: (laughs) thanks so much dean you are welcome steve great to catch up